Hey everybody, welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Burnt Popcorn. I'm your co-host, Mike Laidman, and I'm joined with none other than... Laura Laidman. Each and every week we take a movie from our past and we have a look back to see if it's just nostalgia keeping our high-praised classic films afloat, or if it really is the real deal and worthy of all the adulation. Hun, it is a special, special episode right now. I know, I'm really excited. We're recording live, right now, on Twitch as part of the Part-Time Nerds, Full-Time Dads, Extra Life Charity stream. And that's pretty exciting. It is very exciting. I'm pretty pleased. I'm and, pleased too. And and just because, you know, it's a Part-Time Nerds, Full-Time Dads sort of deal, we also had to bring in the other Part-Time Dad, Full-Time Nerd, Chris <gasps> Blonsky. Please welcome to the show. Welcome to Burnt Popcorn, sir. Yeah, the anchor of this podcast. I'm going to drag you guys all the way down. <laughs> oh. uh, well, it's funny. Like, I feel bad that it's episode 16 and we, ha- we had to wait this long to get you on here. Because, I mean, really, you're the co-host of my other podcast that I'm doing currently. And it took me a while to get you on here. I mean, there's, there's scheduling conflicts and stuff. I was going to say, I more or less invited myself onto this one. It's like, we should do this podcast. P.S. I'll do your other one, too. Well, it's pretty funny because that, that's that's exactly it. Like, we record these these podcasts. The Burnt Popcorn podcasts are recorded in advance. And you and I had talked before about having you on the show to talk about the film that we will be talking about today. And then you said, hey, we need things to talk about during our extra live stream. Why not just do the episode of Burnt Popcorn while we do it? And I'm like... That's a pretty smart idea. Let's kill two birds with one stone. That way I'm not skipping an episode because Sunday is our usual record day and we're currently on a Sunday. And that way I'm not skipping an episode and all that fun stuff. Well, there you go. It worked out perfectly then. Yeah. Hooray. That's, yeah. There's a lot of inside baseball going around out there. But, <laughs> but yeah, so we're happy to we're happy to have you here, Chris. And thank you for being here. As mentioned, Chris is co-host with me on Burnt, or not Burnt Popcorn, (laughs) Part-Time Nerds, Full-Time Dads, where we talk about dad stuff with our kids, including your son, Ben, and my son, William, well, Laura's son, William, as well. And uh, we also talk about, you know, nerdy tech stuff. So, you know, thanks for coming on the show. I must have said that like six times already. Hooray! It just means a lot to you, Mike. I'm glad I could bring this joy to your life, <laughs> apparently. I'm so thankful. Yeah. Just so yeah, thankful. Yeah, that's good. It's like a Christmas present. <laughs> well, this week, we're going to be talking about your favorite movie, is it not? It's your favorite movie of all time. Yes, I would say it's my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, we're about Chris's favorite movie of all time. This week, we will be talking about Back to the Future, which originally hit theaters in 1985. Marty leads an ordinary life. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. Well, history is going to change. And 1985 is not his year. But Dr. Brown is about to change all that. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? He's sending Marty 30 years back in time. Now, he's trapped in the past. This has got to be a dream. About to meet... Chocolate. ...his future father. He's a peeping tough. Wow! And he's making an impression on his mother. He's an absolute dream. And he can sleep in my room. And if you do, could have serious repercussions on future events. Now, he's got to make his mother and father fall in love. For crying out loud, I haven't even been born yet. And only Dr. Brown can help him get... Back to the Future. Michael J. Fox. Christopher Lloyd. Why are they so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Back to the Future. Let us go back in time to July of 1985. To start on July 10th. Coca-Cola announces it will resume selling old formula Coke. No more new Coke. Well, they kept new Coke for a bit. But the conspiracy theories have abounded about how was this all a ploy to switch from sugar to corn syrup. Do you recall ever drinking new Coke? I do not. No, no. I was uh, like four months old at this point. So no. But they kept it around for a while, didn't they? Yeah, they did. But I mean, nobody liked it. I... I don't know. I feel like it was just like liked differently. Liked differently. That is a very polite way of saying people didn't like it. Well, no, that's I mean, you can like a thing and have it not be the original thing, right? 
Anyway, on July 13th, (laughs) Live Aid concerts are held at both Wembley Stadium and John F. Kennedy Stadium, and they raise over $70 million for African famine relief. See, this is good stuff here, hon. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. July 14th, someone who I greatly admire their work, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the English actress, writer, and director of Fleabag, is born in London, England. And uh, on July 19th, Mike Laidman is one year old. I am one year old in July 19th, 1985. July 1985 is not the most interesting of months. One of the biggest news things of this month was Back to the Future was released. What about Chris's birthday? Chris is one year old. It was also July 1985. That's right. Oh, yeah. Way to leave him out of the loop. Well, when I wrote this, I kind of didn't think of that. I see. Well, that I mean, that's fair. I'm shocked that you didn't find any weird-ass murder thing. You always find some weird-ass murder thing. It, it was a very boring month. Yeah, it My was just kind of dull. Maybe everybody was all, like, drugged out on their old, their new Coke. Maybe. I, I'm sure somebody blew their hand off from some Independence Day firework. You know, that's oh, got to yeah. happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it's not news of the ages memorable. But looking at 1985, it was actually a huge year for movies start of the year like december of 1984 beverly hills cop came out which is a movie i would love to cover on this podcast as well and it kept the number one spot for 13 weeks so most of that was in 1985 like that was a huge movie and then it came police academy 2 which was number one for a month and had the biggest march opening ever and then rambo had the number one for a month as well it was it was a rambo 2 i was say with the naming scheme of the rambo movies that uh, could have been i got i got i gotta specify but yeah rambo 2 at number one for a month and then we had cocoon for a week and then pale rider which i don't know what that is and then came back to the future back to the future held the top spot for three weeks and lost for a single week to national lampoon's european vacation and then came back for eight more weeks at number one and eventually lost the top spot to a movie called Invasion USA, which I have also never heard of. It sounds like a movie where the USA is invaded. Are you sure? In theory. You shouldn't presume. Anyway, Back to the Future was the number one movie to come out in 1985. It made $210 million domestic, and then it was Rambo 2, Rocky 4, so big year for Stallone, and then The Color Purple and Out of Africa. Rounding out the top spots for the year. Rocky Four is like the the big Rocky. Is it? Yeah, that's the one with uh, Ivan Drago in it. All I know is Rocky Two plus Rocky Five equals Rocky Seven. It's Rocky V. Rocky V equals Rocky Seven. Adrian's Revenge. Did you know that they're actually like I've never seen Rocky Four, but I one of the things I know about that movie is there's a robot in it. And they're actually like, like Stallone's character buys his friend a robot because he's rich. And it's a weird thing in the movie. And they're actually re editing the movie because Stallone's like re releasing it on like anniversary Blu ray or something. I think it's 25th anniversary Blu ray. And he's editing out the robot. And people are like, why are you editing out the robot? And he's like, I don't like it anymore. Yeah. The 80s were a weird time. Everyone was on cocaine. <laughs> everyone robot cocaine so anyway that brings us to back to the future hooray now chris i'm gonna go to you first on this because like this is the point where we talk about our memories of the film and as someone whose favorite movie this is i feel like you have substantially better memories than the two of us about this are we talking like memory is like how clearly I remember watching this or yeah, like, do you remember watching it when you were a kid or like, Hey, when I was, you know, 14 is when I first saw this movie or what, what are your memories? Definitely as a kid. I am. Um, I think my parents owned it on VHS. Plus it was one of those movies that was always on cable TV because it was a very like kid friendly movie and that kind of thing. But yeah, like I've probably watched this movie hundreds of times, I think, at this point in time. But yeah, I don't know. I, I always loved it. And I rewatched it yesterday and I didn't realize. Well, I guess I knew I, I realized how many things that movie like inspired me to do stuff in my real life, like 
the the band scene is one of my favorite songs of all time it's the same movie that got me to want to play guitar in the first place got me interested in like science and all that type of stuff and the delorean i still think is one of the coolest cars period and in one of the coolest time machines of all time yeah it it definitely is the coolest time machine of all time well and i love how you say like the delorean is one of the coolest cars and this is one of the coolest time machines like one of those is a real thing and then you're saying the other as a follow-up, like it is also a real thing, which it <laughs> well, very much thing. is not. In the context of movies, right? It's not like a <laughs> telephone booth or whatever the Doctor Who one is. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's cool. All right. Yeah, I agree. Like, it was a really cool concept for the car to be the time machine. And even better, it makes it a lot of fun for people to collect them. I knew someone from my, my past days as a comic book shop manager who had one. Super nice guy. He used to be on Degrassi. Oh, yeah, that's right. Joey Jeremiah. Yeah. Joey Jeremiah. Me and, me and Pat Mastrioni were, were good buds for a while there. I sold him comic books. He's a super, super nice guy. Like, in all honesty. Like, because I grew up watching that and to meet someone on it and then turn out, wow, you're actually a really nice person. Always a good feeling. Remember that time that he was coming in to get like a rare comic and we you knew he was coming in and you told my brother because my brother was a big fan of Degrassi. Oh, he yeah. So my brother was just in the store pretending to shop. So that when Joey Jeremiah showed up, you could be like, you keep calling him Joey Jeremiah. His name is Pat. I know his name is Pat, but people don't always know Pat. More people might know Joey Jeremiah. But you know what? He's not in this movie. So back on track. Right. Back on track. What are your memories of this movie? hon? You know what? Out of all the like 80s trilogy type movies, Back to the Future is always my favorite series. Like, I watched this movie a ton, again, on VHS, just like Chris said. Watched it all the time growing up. It was a really good, like, rainy Sunday afternoon movie that my parents would, well, my mom would put on when she was like, I'm sick of you kids, and just pop the movie in, and, you know, she could get whatever she wanted done while we watched this movie. You know what? For me, I don't know if I saw this movie until years later. Really? Yeah. Like, how how much later are we talking? Like... Maybe in my teens. Wow. Really? wow. And I, th- I think I think the reason is, is because I saw Back to the Future 2 like a million times. And so much of Back to the Future 1 is in Back to the Future 2 that I thought I'd seen it. Okay. Does that make sense? I can see that. So had you had you watched Back to the Future 2 then pre-teens is that what you're you're indicating yeah like i feel okay. like i've seen back to the future my family like i don't know what it is about movie trilogies and stuff like that my family has an awful history of watching movies entirely out of order okay i saw star wars completely in reverse order i saw indiana jones completely in reverse order you know like it's it's not uncommon for me to watch movies in in franchises out of order from when I was when I was younger, before I could buy my own movie tickets and stuff. Like, right, that's pretty par for the course is me watching things in the wrong order. So I feel like I'd seen two a million times because it would be on TV or something like that, and we'd watch it. And then, like I said, like so much of two is one that when I was watching one, I was like, yeah, I remember all this. No, I don't remember this though. I have seen this movie, right? Like, because I, I bought, I bought the trilogy, like the the version we watched the other night. I have the trilogy on DVD. I bought a, a like a pack of the, the entire trilogy, and that might have been, that might have been the first time I actually saw the movie. Wow. I, I might, I might be wrong, but I feel like, I feel like my memories of the movie are so ingrained with the second one. That I might not have actually seen the first one for for a long time. Well, I feel like it's such an iconic movie, too, in the sense of you may not have ever watched the movie, but you know exactly what happens. And you you, you know all the scenes because you've seen bits and pieces of them here and there and everywhere. Because it's not a it's not a particularly complex movie by any stretch of the imagination. No, definitely. Well, I want to ask, because like, Chris, you say this is like your favorite movie of all time. And when it comes to my personal like top movies that are favorites of mine, there are movies I go back and rewatch fairly frequently, mm. like Scream and Ferris Bueller. Like I watch those movies on the regular, probably at least each once a year. When would you say is possibly the last time you watched this movie? Be- besides, you know, a recent rewatch. <laughs> yeah, besides yesterday. Probably a year or two ago. Okay. I definitely used to watch it a lot more, but I've also kind of gotten out of the habit of watching movies. You know, 
kids, you know, makes it a little bit tough to find the time, that kind of thing. This is very true. But but yeah, I would say a year or two, something like that. Okay. Because I definitely haven't watched this movie in pro- at least 10 years, I'm going to say. Maybe more. I'd say 10 years because I definitely haven't watched it with you. Wait, no, we did watch something with it. Didn't we see? No, we did. We saw all We saw three this in us, theaters. All three of us saw this in theaters together. Oh, did we go to one of those classic cinema yes, nights? Yes, yes. Yeah, definitely. There was a 100% day, like a Cineplex movie night thing that we all went to and saw it there. Oh, okay. So maybe that maybe that's what it was. Yeah. And it, you know what I remember? I Out of the whole thing, the only thing about that whole experience i remember is watching the delorean take off at the end of the movie and i remember watching that on the big screen do you also remember when we watched that that thing in the theater that before the movie started they showed some like special feature yes 30 minutes long and we were all just like no one cares watch the movie you know yeah like we're here i remember that and i was like this is awful i just want to watch this stupid movie yeah well, it wasn't a stupid movie. I know, but at that point. You, you be careful what you say. You oh, be careful boy. what you say over there. Oh. <laughs> All right. So I, that was probably that was probably the last time any of us saw this movie. Maybe. Well, that last time you and me, maybe Chris has seen it sooner. But let's get into our, re- our rewatch from just the other day. Do you remember? Like, right as the movie started, the first thing I wrote down was, do you remember analog clocks? Because, like, we have one in the house, but when was the last time you looked at it? Actually, like, yesterday. Oh, well, never mind then. I'll just, I'm retired. I'm <laughs> Great going. point, Mike. But I'll, I'll hop on, I'll hop on board that point. The first thing I saw was, remember you, you first see this movie and it's like, wow, it's so cool. When it hits a certain thing, it turns on the TV and starts the coffee and the toast pops up. It's like, we have all that now. I wrote this that down too. technology exists today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wrote down. I said, I said, this is all available. Doc Brown should just get a Google is what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was pretty much. I, li- I literally leaned over to Tiff and it's like, yeah, yeah, we've got this. I could set this up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see your dog. Oh, you know, the, the, I well, no, you just get one of the automatic feeders. You just get one of the dog feeding things. Yeah. yeah that's all right. of this stuff exists too. Yeah. It's so funny. But one of the one thing I wondered was like Doc Brown has has this all these inventions and stuff. What was the point of the giant speaker? I've I've never figured it out. I'm assuming it's some sort of like audio sensory thing, or maybe he just built it for Marty. I, it's hard to say. Yeah, I don't think it's ever been explained anywhere why he's got this huge amplifier. Yeah, and and Marty's also got this tiny ass guitar that I guess it's his portable guitar. Yeah, he has he does because every rest of the movie he uses a guitar like in the future anyway, like in the past he uses the the guy from the band's guitar. But in the future, he's got his own guitar that's much bigger than this little tiny guitar that he's bringing around with him. It Uh, looks like a little ukulele. It is look like a ukulele. That's right. It (laughs) is look like a ukulele. I see that. (laughs) Well, he's overcompensating with the huge amp. He can he can undercompensate with the tiny guitar. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, no, like uh, the the thing that is great uh, about this scene that I really liked is they do a good job of setting things up. Like even though, you know, it's literally just a scene of looking at clocks and stuff. When the TV turns on and stuff, it gives you some information that's important to, to come up. Like the first like 20 minutes of the movie is almost nonstop exposition delivered in an, an organic way. Yeah. Like every piece of dialogue that that happens between Doc and Marty is important because it explains either the rules of time travel, how the DeLorean works, where the plutonium comes from. Like everything that they say in the opening, you know, little bit of the movie there, like it's all important and they do do such a good job with it. Like that's I think that's that's one thing that the movie does really, really well. It deliver exposition. But even that and that scene, too, it kind of shows that. Marty's a bit of a screw up right off the hop too, because like, yeah, he's he's a likable screw up, but he's still a screw up. Mm. I mean, like he, he's a slacker, one could say. Yeah, huh? but he he <laughs> he walks into Doc's place, which obviously is in shambles, but then immediately just wrecks the joint. And also, do we get even in maybe the sequels? Like, why is Marty? F- is he does he work for Doc? Is he his? F- friend right like are marty's parents not concerned i mean his mom's a drunk and his dad's a wuss they're not going to say anything but still so my understanding in the movie it's never explained 
they're just they just know each other and that's how it goes but outside the movie and i don't know how much you guys want to talk about outside stuff but the writers and the director have said that it he was like an employee for a while like doc brown needed sort of like a, a helping hand at his i don't know office laboratory whatever you want to describe it and that's how they got to know each other and then just kind of stayed friends or yeah i guess i think they saw like a mutual respect in one another because they're both you know doc brown's a bit of a screw-up so is marty mm-hmm. as you sort of implied earlier and i think you know a friendship kind of formed in that regard like a mentorship i could see it's just yeah without like that yeah i feel like in the 80s no one cared but now, which we do compare to, you know, the now. Now, everybody's like, why, why is this like seven, 16, 17-year-old kid hanging around with this eccentric scientist who lives in what looks like a garage? That was one thing that I actually wrote down. Like, this little jumps, jumps it around a little bit. Like, he, he, is he not living in the garage of, like, the family estate? That's That was the impression that I had. Are you talking about Doc? Yeah, yeah. Doc lives no, in... So, uh, Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that is the garage of the family estate because the estate itself burned down. Yeah, the the family estate burns down because there's the newspaper article that says as much. So I just assumed that Doc was living in his garage. But later on, when Marty's in the past, he needs directions to Doc's house, which if he's if he's living in the garage, he should know where Doc's house is. Yeah. So maybe it's a different maybe it's a different garage then. Like maybe he just rented a space or something. Well, that's what it looked like to me because it's like right on the street and kind of an industrially part of town. Like it, it doesn't look like it's on Doc's family property. Maybe he didn't realize that the manor existed and had burned down kind of a thing. Maybe or maybe like literally it was like Doc being plus all the landmarks there are different. Streets don't exist that exist for him. So like if he's like, uh, how do I get to blank like the road could have a different name at this point like sure. who knows there's so many different like it's 30 years think of how much changes around here in 10 years we got that nikola tesla boulevard now that's yeah, true it didn't used to be called that yeah yeah well if we're going to talk about something if there's definitely a shortfall in this movie is uh, i i found like the cgi and stuff was great you know it's kind of got its classic 80s cgi stuff because a lot of the stuff is practical which is great yeah but that aging makeup that the actors wear when they're in 1985 is brutal. You know that what? That is so bad. I wrote I wrote that it was, for most of the characters, it's not bad. Like, Biff looks good, I found. And Doc doesn't look bad. Doc doesn't look bad, no. But Crispin Glover doesn't look good. And... I would say, I would say Lorraine doesn't look that bad. No, she, she looks, she looks younger than she should. But, but they, with- they look plasticky. It's like plasticky though. Yeah, which it, I mean, it is. Well, I, the one, the, it's the worst. The one that's the worst is Principal Strickland. Like he goes and he meets Principal Strickland right at the beginning. And I guess they were trying to make him his like neck look older. And it just looks like he's got like a piece of tape stuck to him or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- that's what I found all of it. It was like the cheeks were very like plasticky, shiny, and the necks of everybody were just like this weird, like saggy, but it was like a just a straight cut. It goes from super plasticky to saggy. I, I don't know. It kind of pulled me out of it a little bit, but it's a super nitpick, I guess. Yeah. And then later on, I mean, like for the, you, you don't see them that much. More of the movie is them in their younger days, which is funny because yes. like, because of those actors, all of those actors are still around. I mean, Crispin Glover, you don't really see too much these days. But, like, I've seen, I can never remember, Tom Wilson, the guy who plays Biff. Yep. And Christopher Lloyd and Leah Thompson, they're, they're in stuff still. And you see them now, and they're like the ages that they would have been or older than the characters in the movie. And, like... That's what I think of now, you know, like I I think of Christopher Lloyd and I think of current Christopher Lloyd is what Doc Brown looks like kind of a thing, you know, like that's that's in my head. If you're like picture Doc Brown, I picture what Christopher Lloyd looks like right now, kind of a thing. (laughs) So, So it's not like they're not overly far off. So the real surprise for me was when he goes back in time and sees everybody look young, then that's where I'm like, wow. These guys are so much younger. Like like Leah Thompson looks incredibly young in in this yeah. movie based off of my my memories of Leah mm-hmm. Thompson. Same. I agree. 
Also speaking of the principal, the fact that he full on touches Marty's nose with his nose is always a little like, what are you, what are you doing there? That's a, that's a bit much. That is a little creepy. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of 80s-isms. Yeah. I feel like now if I if like someone's kid came home, it was like, Mom, the principal touched my nose with their nose and it was weird and awkward and now people saw. Now there's a CNN saw. story about it. Hmm? Now there's a CNN story about yeah. it. Yeah. It's like, have a seat. <laughs> yeah. Have a seat. I'm Chris Hansen. This is Dateline NBC. One thing I, I did write about that's still in the very early bit of the movie is... This movie has like a like a weird takes liberty with I mean I shouldn't say time but it's more of like a dimensional thing in the sense of like obviously Huey Lewis is in the movie and he's the guy who's in charge of picking the bands for the the prom thing right and it's a fun it's a fun joke but Marty plays the power of love during his audition and then Marty has a, a, a Huey Lewis sports album mm-hmm. on his wall and then also, when he's hanging out with Jennifer and her dad comes to pick him up, the power of love is playing on his car stereo. And then, like, you know, like later on, the back in time is playing. Am I just overthinking this? Like, is it just, is, is Marty playing a cover? Because it, it comes off as the, the way to talk about it in the, sh- in the movie that, that Marty wrote that song. That's his original song. But meanwhile, the, the dad is listening to it live on the radio. And also, like, would he not notice that, like, his his music teacher looks like the guy on his wall in the poster? Like, <laughs> I mean, I get it's all, like, fun Easter eggs, but it's it, it, it kind of threw me in down this weird rabbit hole. But absolutely, like, and remember in the 80s, too, when, like, movies, uh, even the 90s, it's like movies had not just James Bond, but movies had, like, a theme. So, like, this has, like, power of love. And yeah. then you've got, like, Breakfast Club has a theme. And even up to Titanic, I mean, my heart will go on, like... What was the last time there was a movie that was specifically and don't forget, you know, there's this brand new song from Miley Cyrus. What were we talking about? This Venom had one of these songs. Yeah, and it was the, the weirdest thing. Yeah, Eminem song in Venom. But then, and speaking of music too, can I just, when the the music judges for the Battle of the Bands are like, mm, it's too loud. One, the kind of music they were playing wasn't over the top like metal and then if you look at the crowd like the different bands behind waiting to audition they're obviously all like hair bands which are very loud well you know they're probably all about to get rejected too so who's gonna play this freaking battle of the bands they're gonna call back uh marvin barry if he's still alive (laughs) a a nice quiet christian band will come play (laughs) because it's not a battle of the bands though is it it's it's they're auditioning to Basically, do like the Enchantment Under the Sea dance band, right? That's ultimately what it is, right? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was for Battle of the Bands. No, no, I think it was. Oh, are you sure? Yeah. Get your shit together, hon. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very confident in saying that's what it's for. (laughs) Right. But speaking of the music, though, I actually love the soundtrack of this music or of this movie. Like, I, I like the actual, like, pop hits, but I also love the theme, like the, you know, so like the classical music theme. Yeah. It's iconic, in my opinion. Oh, God. The, the, the soundtrack to this film is, I would say, as iconic as the film. Like, you cannot hear yeah. and not know what that is, you know? Yeah. It, it, yeah, no. The, the, the soundtrack to the film, the score, as well as the, the other stuff, is, is just from top to bottom all great. And... I remember specifically there was a time when we were at a, you and I were at a wedding and not you and I, Chris, but Laura and I were at a wedding and they were like, who wants to request some songs? And I requested Earth Angel. Okay. Yeah. Because I could, uh, because of the ending, I think it was actually because we had just seen the movie too. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. So I requested that and then the song played and it was like, because I said to you, I'm like, I requested a song. And you were like, oh, what is it? And then I, I was like, it's a surprise. And then the song came on and you were looked at me like, what the hell did you pick this song for? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> well, and just before we move away from, from that, did you guys know that the judge who actually says, you're just too darn loud, is Huey Lewis? Yeah, you, Mike said that. Yeah, are you joking? We said that already. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was double checking it. <laughs> That's what prompted Mike's Huey Lewis rant. That was my Huey Lewis <laughs> rant. I was literally being like double checking it 
Because I thought I'd heard that as you're telling me that. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, fix it in post. (laughs) I gotta leave it in now. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. I definitely Um, leave that in. I'm the one editing it. I I was going to say Johnny B. Good in this movie is my favorite version of Johnny B. Good. But when I heard it the first time, I thought that was the song. And then when I heard the actual like Chuck Berry Johnny B. Good, it's like, what is this garbage? Like, I like the the Back (laughs) to the Future one so much better. That's well, that's it. And like, obviously, like I looked into it last night. I don't remember the guy. Something Campbell is the guy who recorded it. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, Michael yeah, J. Fox. Michael Fox. And I'm, like, but, and that's the thing. Like, it's, it's not even close to Michael J. Fox's voice. There's elements of it. I know, I knew it wasn't his voice, but there's parts of it where I'm like, I could see how they thought that this person sounded like Michael I J. Fox. I 100% disagree. Chris, tiebreaker, tiebreaker. <laughs> I mean, I could see elements of Michael J. Fox too, but ultimately, I, you know, gun to my head, I'm saying no, he's not singing it. Oh, uh, but I was going to say, but he did learn the song on guitar and vocally to make it seem authentic. So he is playing like the right notes and stuff on the guitar. Did he learn how to play the guitar with one of his hands disappearing? Uh, it's unclear. It's unclear. <laughs> it's transparent, like his hand was. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't even have to make it disappear. He could just break a few of the small bones in his hand, make it unusable, and then he would know what it'd be like to like lose control of your hand. There you go. <laughs> anyway, on that note, can we talk about Crispin Glover? Sure. I love Crispin Glover. I was wondering where that was going to go. Like, because like, like, when he, there's something just like, about him in general as an actor that I always, whenever he's on screen, I'm just like, yeah, I really like Crispin Glover. He's got this weird, creepy, awkward vibe. And then there's that Friday the 13th movie where he's dancing. And I don't know. I've just always really enjoyed Crispin Glover. And I will say it took a long time for me to realize he wasn't in his 50s in the 80s after watching this movie as a kid so many times. Oh, really? You thought that the makeup on him was that good? Well, it was the 80s on VHS. Uh-huh. How do, I'm curious, Laura, how did you find him at like the dinner table scene when he was like maximum loser? Oh, like... <laughs> 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 yeah. it, is, it is nails on a chalkboard to me. Yeah, no <laughs> I kidding. I that part. Yeah, it's... It's so secondhand embarrassing, but at the same time, he does it so well. He plays awkward so well, and it's not forced. And I don't know, there's just, like I said, there's something about him. He, you can always tell it's him, but I would say just overall, like how the energy he exudes, he's very much a chameleon. Yeah, that's fair. That's definitely fair. Yeah. He's not like Gary Oldman where you're like, wait, that was Gary Oldman? What? But no, like you can always tell it's Crispin Glover, but like the energy he exudes is always different. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but the the, the teacher at the- You know what? I'm done. <laughs> I, I quit. It's Huey Lewis. <laughs> I literally was like in the process of double checking it and didn't hear a word. Uh, sorry. Sorry. You know, speaking of dinner scenes, I actually wanted to point out when he goes back in time and- and he ends up having dinner with his mom's family. Yeah. That entire scene is it's like the beginning of the movie where like it's so well done and and very well like everything wraps up in the scene. Like I love that he meets his uncle who's in prison and he's like in striped clothing, like he's a baby in a in a playpen. In a playpen with with yeah. like the black and white stripes, which was great. Like the fact that they're, they he's he's talking about the show and he's like it's a rerun and and you know and and just the dialogue is so well done where they're like, you know, like th- things that, that people say based off of things that we've already seen are different. When her, his grandmother is like, have I met your mother? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, she might be closer than you think. Like things yeah. like that. Like just, just that whole scene was really well done. And I just wanted to make a, a moment to spotlight how great I thought that scene was. Yeah, I, I had the same note, Mike, was this, like they do a fantastic job of referencing the past and the future, but in like a very casual and not like standoutish sort of way. And they got like a, a lot of visual gags and stuff, too. 
So like the Twin Pines Mall sign. Yeah. yeah. At the start of the movie, it's got two trees. But when he comes back, it's only got one because he ran it over the first time. Right. Like just stuff like that. And I, I love the fact that Lorraine, when she's, you know, middle aged and everything, um, you know, it's like, oh, you don't be a hussy as like a, you know, a young girl. And I would never ask anybody out. And then you go back in time and she's just like this super aggressive, flirty woman. Yes. Like, I, I love the juxtaposition and stuff there, too. Like they, they do. They do a fantastic job. Or if the dad says, you know, Lorraine, if you ever have a kid like that, I disown you. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great joke, right? Like I find a lot of the humor in this movie is very um, like Marvel-esque. Like it's just it's yeah. subtle and it, it makes you laugh during serious moments, but doesn't detract from the serious moments, you know? Yeah, yeah that's a really good point, because that's one of the things that like Marvel obviously has going for it in those movies and how popular they've become is balancing the humor. And I didn't even think of it until like, you just mentioned it now, but this movie does the same thing. Like you're very you're very right. There's there's moments where obviously like things are coming down to the wire and like or things are v- very aggressive and there's still like a lightheartedness but weight to it at the same time they mm-hmm. they balance it very very well and like you were saying too chris like the movie's very good at referencing the time that that happens like t- the the difference between the past and the future and everything but the only thing that i found that was very odd when it came to the time was how old is einstein the dog because in the past Doc is feeding him and he's a puppy. I You think it's Einstein two or three? No, that's Winston. That's that's Winston the dog. Was it Winston? I could have sworn he said it was Einstein. I'm pretty sure it's Winston. I mean, I might be wrong now, but I I'm pretty sure Winston was nineteen fifty five and Einstein was eighty five. Okay, maybe maybe they were different dogs, and I'm I'm wrong here. I could. But even the, even if the name was the same, he might just name all his dogs the same thing. I mean, growing up, my aunt and uncle always had like lassie dogs they always had collies and every single one of them was named scotty oh, yeah maybe it could I mean, be that too maybe they just yeah maybe he's just really yeah. bad at naming things i'm, like, I'm questioning myself i'm questioning myself now but i'm pretty sure it's winston in in the past but okay well, well, i don't have to fact check it i guess <laughs> I'm, I'm fact checking it right now I'm oh you're doing it, it right now well why we're talking about the past the jvc video camera has got to be the single greatest ad placement in movie history, if you ask me. Because it, it was a paid spot, and they show you exactly how this video camera works, including how you can fast forward the tape and rewind the tape and plug it right into the television. Like They did an amazing job at just making it seem seamless and blended into the movie. See, the thing that I thought, that, that, that I, again, I get it, like what you're saying, but I feel like that TV wouldn't have the right inputs for for a modern day, like a 1985 day camera. But yeah, probably not. But <laughs> I mean, but you're right. It was really well done. But also, Laura beat me to finding out the correct information here. Okay. So uh, Einstein is Emmett Brown's dog in 1985. Copernicus is Emmett Brown's dog in 1955. Oh, Copernicus, you're right. Galileo is uh, his dog in 1972 in the, I'm going to say, comic. And there was another dog from 1967 in a the first draft of Back to the Future Part 2 named Newton. Oh, well, there you go. So, so, and so the answer is that neither of us were right. Neither of us had that dog's name correct. (laughs) Everybody's wrong. No, I am right because I thought you were both wrong and that ended up being right. So I guess I get half points. (laughs) I guess so. All right. right. I guess so. Okay. So as the movie went on, I, 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 like we've talked on a a few previous episodes when it comes to things like going back to some of these older movies, Indiana Jones, when we talked about Indiana Jones, I felt like. You know, I'm still having fun enjoying this movie, but this movie is long. Like, I don't remember, I don't remember this movie being so long, but this movie had the opposite. Like, this movie just, it clips. Yeah. You know, and it, it moves and, and I don't feel like I, you know, anything is missing. It, it, it's just a perfect paced movie. Yeah. And obviously storytelling in movie forms and novel forms, like, has evolved and the way movies are plotted now, everything goes by the save the cat idea. And I, I would really feel like this movie kind of predates that formula, but still uses it. 
You know what I mean? What What is save the cat? I, I don't know what that is. Yeah, not all of us. Not all of us. Save Save the Cat. Save the Cat is basically kind of a, a a rule book for modern scripts. All the Marvel movies follow the the Saves the Cat plot line. It's it's basically a beat sheet to be like, okay, on page thirteen, your hero needs to do something that shows the audience they are a good guy in a subtle way. So, like, if your protagonist is you know a Wall Street guy and he's like hot shot doing coke blah 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 but like when he's going down the street he like gives his lunch to some homeless guy it's like okay he's not all bad you know what i mean you have to have so like page 13 gotta have that and like it's a beat sheet that you that all these movies follows and this one kind of already follows it a bit and that modern storytelling whereas indiana jones like doesn't have the same plot pacing as an adventure movie from 2018 whereas this does yeah okay i had no idea that's interesting yeah and then billy zane shows up billy zane you didn't realize it was billy I, zane. I was like having a moment of being like is who and you went billy zane and i'm like oh, you're right it's billy zane don't all the back to the future movies have like because in back to the future part two uh, elijah wood is in it he's one of the kids really in, in, yeah because he goes to the future. Yes, yeah, playing on the arcade. Yeah, yeah, he's playing an arcade game, and Elijah Wood is one of the kids. I feel like the third one's got somebody too, but I can't, I'm not thinking of who it is right now. But, but yeah, Billy Zane. He's a cool guy. You know what? Billy Zane is part of Biff's posse. Yeah, and, and I gotta, I gotta say, like this is something that I wrote from near the end of the movie. Is what is with everybody at at that school? Like, are they all like rapists or something? Like, it was the fifties, I guess. But because like, so Biff gets taken out. By Marty's dad, which is like, hooray. Like, half the school is like, wow, he finally did it. He's a hero. We all love him. And then they go into the dance and some redheaded dude who's not in the arrest. Like, he's not part of Biff's gang. He's not shown in any other scene in the movie that I can recall. Walks up and is like, out of the way, McFly. I'm taking your girl. And then, like, it's just another person for Marty's dad to beat up. Yeah. And he like whoops that dude's ass real quick too. But, you know, like just pushes him down. Like he yeah. shoves the shit out of that dude. He's like a football tackle. Oh, yeah. He definitely, but he's com- he's confident now. Yeah. yeah he's confident, George Rickfly now. But it's it's interesting you bring it up. I thought we would talk about it a little later, but we'll, we'll talk about it now. That car scene with, with Biff and Lorraine. Yeah. That was way darker yeah. than I remember it being way darker i i thought it was like you know he's going in for the kiss as a kid like going in for the kiss and and he she doesn't want to kiss him and whatever now you watch it's like jesus christ like we're we're watching somebody try to rape somebody else in a car like it was it was a little uncomfortable watching it like in this era you know and remember we both said our parents would put this movie on for us as that's safe for families yeah this is like a pg rated film Well, but again, as a kid, as a kid, I never, I never looked at it that way, right? Yeah, it was same. like, oh, he, he, he wants to kiss her. She doesn't want to kiss him. That's where it ended. But then the weird thing about it is like, you know, in the end, you know, they still keep in touch with Biff, even though he's like a servant now. But it's like, that's, that's kind of fucked up. You know, is this not kind of fucked up? You know what, though? If I were Lorraine and like... That guy who is my my husband's tormentor and my would-be rapist and the whole thing. If I could watch him live in misery every day as my servant and have to do what I tell him at all times and have him grovel for me, I might be on board. All right. Woman's opinion. That makes it official. <laughs> makes it okay. I don't speak for, it's of course, totally all normal. women, but I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'd want to actually ever see him, but to know that like... He had to do whatever, like, my husband told him and was, like, a sniveling little gopher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be okay. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, to, to bring this back to a bit of a lighter side. Yes. Did everybody who watched this movie, you know, when the movie's all done, have, like, this idealistic view of 1955? And it's like, I would have loved to grow up during 1955. Everything seemed so great and so pristine and so, like... Yeah, I, other than like all the rapes, apparently they go on. But you know, <laughs> but that's the thing, that, right? For 
for the two of you guys as being young white males in Canada, you guys would have been walking on easy street. I mean, let's be real here. Things would have been great for you guys. And not to mention, like you have to remember in the 1955, the population was so much, there would be so few people compared to what there are now. Oh yeah, definitely. And then they they show up like he goes to the pop shop and it's just packed with people and i'm just like remember packed restaurants people are all walking <laughs> out on the the village square no one's got a mask on in sight and you're like man yeah the 50s doing pretty good people are getting polio but you know doing pretty good they don't tell you that part <laughs> the polio a lot of people have polio <laughs> you're, you're not wrong they probably should have been wearing masks they didn't know it this is true. This is true. So anyway. Anyway, let's get on to a, another note. That This is something that I wrote down that, that near the end happens. And it, I mentioned it to you as we were watching this, too. So, the day is saved. Marty's dad beats up a dude, which saves Marty's life and brings back his sister and brother from, you know, the, the edge of non-existence. And then Marty's like, I gotta go. And they're like, will we ever see you again? And he's like, ah, I guarantee it. Which again is another one of those nice time jokes that that get told. But also after he leaves, the mom's like, Marty, what a great name. Which obviously is supposed to be like, oh, that's where she got the idea to name her son Marty. Well, now why not her first kid? Or, you know, like... Well, maybe their first kid is named after somebody else. Like, more, maybe one of her other siblings or something. Or her dad. I guess. But it's like, man, you remember that guy? I really liked him. Let's name our third child after him. Well, sometimes you just <laughs> like the name. Fair. Just saying. Anyway. I mean, we accidentally named William. And we know a guy named Will. And he's like, why'd you name him after me? And I was like, oh, shit. We did our best to name him. Not after anyone we knew. So. Yep. Oops. Whoopsie doodle. Getting to the end of the movie, though. Yeah. When Doc Brown comes back from now, from five years ago, from five years ago, with his personal fusion reactor and like his clear tie and stuff. This is it's funny that this is a movie because this is something we talked about when we talked about Total Recall is unlike Total Recall, which set itself very far in the future and didn't make its technology too far more advanced than mm-hmm. it was at the time, they went like full out, like 20, 30 years from now is going to be like a utopian society with, you know, flying cars and stuff. Wah, wah. Like, I mean, I, I get why now that's kind of like teehee, but like when in the past, we, did you guys ever think like, man, we're almost at the flying car. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Well, all, all in the 90s. I, I think it was the 90s. Everybody was trying to invent some stupid flying car all the time, right? Like every, every, I feel like every other month you see somebody built their own sort of flying car and it had like giant wings on it or whatever. Like that was the hot shit. Like I, I think everybody wanted to do that. I mean, why wouldn't you? I remember, I remember there was a, a TLC show back when you actually learned things on TLC. Mm-hmm. It's called Extreme Machines, and that show was great. And they had an entire episode devoted to flying cars. And in it, they talked to like four different people who had their own different styles of flying car. None of them looked like DeLoreans. Which is a real shame. It is a It shame. is a real shame. Yeah. But I mean, I, I guess if you're talking about their future predictions, I mean, they do get a lot of stuff right. But now we're kind of talking about Back to the Future Part 2. So I'm just talking about this one. <laughs> I'm just talking about this one. Well, I mean, he gets... You know, you can run vehicles from like banana peels and all that crap. That's an ethanol, right? Ethanol and, and biodiesel is that's what it's from. Right. But like well, I've been throwing out my banana peels. Yeah. You're, you're not powering a nuclear fusion reactor with banana peels, but no. you could drive the car with it. I'll just stick one in the gas tank. But the fact <laughs> that like he's he's, you know, he, he's able to just throw garbage into his car and drive on that. That's not something that we do like. Not yet. Wait until Elon Musk gets around to watching this to movie. watching this movie. I feel like he's probably <laughs> seen it before. You sure? He's a bit of a nut. Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, I, I know. Like, but as an ending, though, you think that I think that's a, it's a great way to end the film as well with all like. But even just but I wanted to talk about Doc Brown before the end of the movie. One thing I want to touch on, and I wrote it down and then had it kind of like exemplified for myself today while we were actually at the park. At the end of the movie, Doc Brown has to save the day by like connecting the disconnected wire. Yes. 
And he at one point has to like swing down. He's holding above and like above his head and like a he and he slides down and the whole thing. And he's got it like he's using his upper body strength to like hold on one hand and reach with the plug for the other hand. Okay, right off the hop, I gotta say Doc Brown is ripped. I did not catch that. Or are you just saying? Well, you like, don't. I don't think you don't visibly see him being ripped, but the fact that he's doing these things is oh, just like oh, this. Oh. Yes, like I was just like he's actually got to be incredibly strong to do that. That's fair. That's fair. Yes, because like today we were at the playground with our child, and I was on the monkey bars, and I couldn't hold myself up more than thirty seconds tops, and I wasn't even holding myself up. I was just <laughs> hanging there, and meanwhile he's like pulling on a plug and plugging it by one hand, and I'm like. This dude must be ripped. Uh, it's a little movie magic for you, I guess, right? Movie magic that he's ripped? Well, no, that like some old man can hang with one hand and connect it. With well, this was in 55. This was in 55. Yeah, he's not an old man at this he's point. He's not like super old at this point. Well, it's true. Yeah, he's probably what, 30 or something? 35 yeah. maybe? Yeah. yeah. He's our age and definitely in better shape than any of us. But again, it was the 50s and the, you know, Fit and he he lived in a big mansion. Did all these experiments? Maybe all this stuff was was a lot of exercise for him. So maybe he's uh, lifting up giant speakers, and that's where he gets. His yeah, attention. I do like that. The general theme of this movie, though, is like personal growth and overcoming mm-hmm. fears and adversity and stuff through doing it right like mm-hmm. you know because marty and his dad early on are both the same they're both terrified of rejection and terrified of failure but all the actions that they have to take throughout the movie encourage them to get over that fear and it's the same with doc yeah he was afraid of going up there and the next thing you know he's sliding down the rope or you know in order to plug everything in like i i like that it's a very positive message to to build the movie around right like have some confidence don't be afraid of failure and you know you'll succeed and obviously when he goes back to the alternate 1985 the family is a little bit better off and everybody's happier and it's still in love and that kind of thing yeah but you're right and like watching it now as an adult that is a th- like something that i didn't again and not realize as a kid it was just like you know oh they're different now well that's just different but yeah it's like they're better you don't realize they're better well you realize they're better but like that you you think oh they're they're better because marty did a thing you don't have all the layers of oh, yeah like you know the hero's journey that you do as an adult and have taken english classes fair yeah <laughs> uh well i think that's a good since that we're talking about the ending i think that's a good spot to wrap things up those were our thoughts on that movie well, critics in 1985 had their own thoughts. So, Laura, why don't you fill us in on some past reviews? Yeah, this is yet another exceptionally highly rated movie that we've uh, we've discussed. 96% critical approval rate on Rotten Tomatoes and 94 audience, which I, I felt like this is a movie if it's going to be... Obviously, 94 is very high, but who doesn't like this movie? People who think that Doc Brown is a pedophile. Maybe. I, I I think that's looking a little deep into it. I, I know there were some detractors who uh, who thought it was like a bit of a racist movie because, you know, Marty teaches Chuck Berry, you know, his oh, famous yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't for the white man doing it. But at the same time, Marty only knows it because Chuck Berry taught him. Right. So it's yeah. a weird, you know, weird time machine paradox kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so. Our, our number one go-to guy, Roger Ebert, he said uh, that the movie has delivered a fine comic touch with humanity, which I feel like we've all kind of, you know, stated earlier in, in our discussion here. Roger Ebert's buddy, Gene Siskel, said initially Back to the Future seems on the surface to be everything wrong with movies of its era claimed at a young audience, but... When he actually watched it, it subverted his expectations, Mike's favorite thing. Oh, come on. And it offered something for both children and adults. The most critical review I found was from Sheila Benson, who said the film was big, cartoonish, and empty. I disagree. I disagree, too. And we've talked about how this movie, you know, obviously huge box office success, big critical success. In 2007, the United States Library of Congress selected the film for preservation in the National Film Registry, finding it culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. 
There you go. That's an important distinction. I would say so. Yes. You know what else is an important distinction? Our ratings. I agree. They this is very important. You know, the corpse of Gene Siskel can eat it. I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> wow. Dark. <laughs> Chris, as, as our guest, uh, you can go first. I, I feel like I already know your answer. It's your favorite movie of all time. Yeah, th- this is a given. This is a double butter. I, I don't know how in-depth you want me to go with this. Each each kernel individually <laughs> spray buttered, placed in the bag, you know, with without touching human flesh, that kind of thing. I don't know. It's amazing. I, I love the movie for all the reasons we've discussed. You know, obviously it tops a lot of 100 movies you must watch before you die lists and everything like that. I mean, yeah, to me, it's a, it's a given double butter all the way. Yeah, and I agree. I'm golden double butter as well. For exact, it's like what you were saying. Like, th- there's a reason that they they found this film to be culturally significant. Like, it's it's fairly close. I wouldn't like. It's not my favorite movie, but it is up there. It's one of my. It is one of my favorite movies. And I would I would say like this doesn't mean it's my favorite movie, but I would say, go to say that it is a perfect movie. You know, like it just does a really good job of. Of being a movie, you know, like there's no real flaws to the film. It wraps everything up in, in, in really in a really great way. There, there's nothing you can point to and be like, that's terrible. Or I really hate. I mean, obviously, looking back, we can go back and nitpick about makeup effects, not holding the, up against the test of time. And and maybe that rape scene was a little worse than we remember. But like. Overall, the themes of the film and the the acting and the music, it, it's all perfect. It's, yeah. It's good great. thing it wasn't Eric Stoltz. Yeah. Good thing it wasn't Eric Stoltz. Yeah. But this this brings me to the wild card of the group. The, it would not be the first shock for Laura to have picked a plain popcorn on a movie that I thought was a home run double butter. So I throw it to you to see what... what well, you know, I took my time when I was thinking about how I want... No, I'm totally kidding. This is a double butter excellent, movie. Let's excellent. be real. <laughs> when I was talking to Chris, I, I said, you, you wanna, you're good to do the review. And he's like, it's double butter. We're done. Like, yeah, <laughs> like he's, he's completely correct. This yeah. is one of the best movies ever made. And not even just so much like it's a really well-made story. It's one of the most fun movies that holds that cultural significance as well. Like that is a lot for one movie. Like culturally it is so significant and it's still so fun. Mm -hmm. I know I nitpick through things and everything all the time, but they're more like how you would like joke around with your buddy and be like, when are you getting a haircut, hon? Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, we all know that I love the long hair. Yes. So, you know, that's so, all it is. It's it's playful joshing between friends. Of course, of course. Because me and this abstract concept of film are best friends. <laughs> no, it's, it's double butter. It's so good. Like, throw some, like, plutonium seasoning on top and it's delightful. <laughs> oh, nice. The nuclear option. I love it. <laughs> it's love got it. a real kick. <laughs> and it doesn't end well for you. In no. Uh, well, thanks for for popping in with us, Chris. It's it's been long awaited that we that we had you on the show. Finally, I'm glad we finally found a time to do it, and I'm glad we did it during Extra Life because it just makes it a little more a little more special. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I've I've never been on a podcast that wasn't my own, so Yay! this is exciting for me as well. But yeah, I, I'm glad. I, if if there's other movies you wanna. You want me to come and review with you? I'll be happy to come back. Well, maybe Back to the Future too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give you my list. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, I, I mean, like, why don't you tell everybody? Like, we always give everybody the opportunity to plug their stuff. So, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? If you're on Twitter, Facebook, other podcasts, you might happen to be on. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the the podcast in question, of course, is Part Time Nerds, Full Time Dads. Uh, co-hosted by myself and some other guy called Mike Laban. Yeah, yeah. Um, we talk about dad stuff and nerd stuff and all kinds of things. Used to talk about movies when they were still a thing, but they're not right now. Of course, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PT Nerds FT Dads, <laughs> and you can also follow me on Twitter at the Chris Blonsky. And you'll never be able to spell my name, so. I don't expect to gain any followers from this podcast. Oh, that's okay. We'll we'll put your your actual links in the description and stuff. Because we oh, always okay, great. 
yeah, we're good at we're good at doing that stuff. Anyway, thank you. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Burnt Popcorn. Thanks for being here, Chris. I am Mike. I am Laura. And next week we will be talking about Twister. Oh yes, we've 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 thrown Twister back and forth a few times. I've been waiting for it to get on. And you still actually have to wait like how many more weeks before we actually get to watch this movie because We're we still haven't minutes. recorded episode 11. Shh. You're, you're, you're showing everyone how the sausage gets made. Don't do it. But <laughs> that, You're the one who can edit it out in post. I suppose I could, but I might not edit that out because it's not a terrible mistake. But we'll, <laughs> we, we hope you will join us again on our next episode. So until then, we'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know why you went so long with that. But... I was traveling through time. <laughs>